Sunday school hour, and uh, uh, we're going to head and dismiss uh, the children to head downstairs to their classes. <clears throat> and as they head down there, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick up uh, right there around verse 15. Uh, we had, again, begun to broach that subject about uh, the peace of God and uh, what uh, Paul says here about uh, letting it rule in our hearts, that allowance versus uh, uh, making some sort of, uh, if you will, hindrance to the things of God. And I will tell you this, there's uh, often the case uh, people do not allow that to happen. They they will uh, go through the process of, if you will, uh, restricting God from their life and uh, hindering Him from working, and uh, that that is a problem. We need to be very much, if you will, submitted to the Holy Spirit to allow Him to do that work. And what we see as one of the elements of the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace, we need to allow that into our lives. And uh, um, as we continue on over in the book of James, uh, in James chapter 4, there's some things mentioned about peace in James chapter 3, and we are looking at that on Wednesday nights, but, you know, the opposite of peace is war. And we need to understand that that without the peace of God, we are at war at some point in our life. And if there is one thing that will tire you out more, it's fighting. Uh, is is war, is conflict, is strife. Uh, those things will wear down the spirit and wear us down physically. So as Paul's talking about this and talking about the preeminence of Christ, and as we talked about him being the Prince of Peace and having, if you will, that authority to rule as such in our life, he is going to be the preeminent one. He is the one that we're going to look to for that peace. He's the one that we need for that peace. As we talked about uh, over there where it says in Psalms that, uh, you know, peace and righteousness have kissed each other. And that's one of the reasons why we cannot have peace in this world, because people simply are unwilling to yield to righteousness, unwilling to yield to Christ, and the end result is is war and conflict. They'll say peace, but there's really no peace. Uh, you know, just just thinking about it right now, I mean, you can understand we are still, if you will, at war with North Korea. That that, that conflict has never been resolved. There's just an armistice that's there that says, hey, let's stop shooting at each other. You know, that mentality. But other than that, there's no peace treaty. There's nothing uh, uh, peaceful between North and South Korea or uh, uh, North Korea and uh, the U.S. as an ally to, to South Korea or any of those. Uh, it, it, there's still a conflict that is raging, and it's been going on since the 1950s. And you think about that, that's one of the longest running conflicts that exists. And while we may not necessarily be uh, uh, shooting at each other, it is still a conflict that is there. And I will tell you this, the Korean people on both sides of that in that peninsula are tired of it. They're tired of it. The South are always tired about when the North is going to do something crazy and the people in the North are tired of living in poverty and, and, uh, uh, um, you know, oppression. There's, there's, there's a, 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 if you will, a down of the spirit in that conflict. 
And then what Paul's getting at here is when we let the peace of God rule in our lives, guess what happens? We're yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. We have a better understanding of what God's doing. We have that lack of conflict that we need in our Christian life. So we're going to take a look here a little bit more in verse 15 uh, about some peace here. But let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started and uh, we'll get going with our lesson. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you so much for all the opportunity that you have given us to study your word, to grow from it. Lord, I just pray that this morning uh, our, our, our thoughts and our intents and our desires, Lord, would be solely fixed upon you. The Lord, we would desire to think only on you and only on the things that you've uh, provided for us, that, Lord, we'd set ourselves and our flesh aside, that uh, we would have that desire of you and your will to be preeminent in our life. Again, Lord, I pray you'd be with me and just use me and speak through me, and that all of this would be honoring and pleasing unto you in your sight. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in this, in this chapter, and in verse 15 it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Now again, when we look at this, there's, there's, if you will, three things that are kind of lumped in this peaceful category. And again, uh, when we take a look over at the book of James, in James chapter 4, we find the reason that is there for war is ourselves. If you will, just keep your place there and uh, turn over to James 4. And, and we're rapidly approaching James chapter 4 on Wednesday night. But uh, in James chapter 4, and in verse 1, it says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, and ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight more, and ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask, and ye ask, and ye receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. James just gets right to the point. He's not going to, you know, if you will, beat around the bush a little bit. He's going to just get straight to it and say, here's the problem, here's why war exists. And when anybody you're witnessing or, you know, trying to to show somebody the gospel plan, inevitably they come up with those, if you will, questions that are intended to derail you. Like, well, if God was a, you know, just God, then why does he do this and blah, blah, blah. And if, if God is, is such a great God, why does he allow war to exist and so on and so forth? War exists because we cause it. We cause it. We're the ones that, 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 that do it. And the reason is, as James points out, is because we want something that we can't have. Or we want something that's not meant for us. Or we want something that now's not the time. Whatever it may be, it's a lust that exists. And what I'll tell you is, when there is lust in your heart, there is a lack of thankfulness. Because it, 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 I'll tell you, the best way to kill lust and covetousness is to start going through and realizing everything God has given you. Don't think about what you don't have. Think about what you do have. You just start with that. You just, again, and we can do that very simply. 
You know, we start getting into these these fretting things of how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And we start lusting. We start desiring all of these things. And I'll tell you, the, the thing that you need to do is just stop for a moment and just pray to God and say, God, I am thankful. And start listing it. God, I am thankful above all for salvation that I have in you. I have forgiveness of sins. I have eternal home in heaven that no one can ever steal from me or take away from me. I will always be in your love. Lord, I am thankful for that. Start there. Lord, I'm thankful that you gave us a Bible. I'm thankful that you preserved it for us. I'm thankful that uh, that it communicates your word to us perfect in every form. What I mean, again, they didn't have that in the Old Testament. They didn't even have that in the New Testament. They had bits and pieces. And here we are, we've got the complete thing on our lap. We got it on our phone. We got it on our tablets. We've got it on electronic devices. Uh, you know, it's out there in the ether, on the web, in the cloud, whatever. You know, it's out there, right? So, so we have access to it. People have, and I will tell you this, as much as you want to say anything about technology, and trust me, I am a bit of a, a, a technophobe and that I hate some of it, but I will tell you this, Right now, in this day and age, people have greater access to the Word of God than they have ever had in the entire existence of mankind. You can Google it. You can get an app for it. You you have access to it on the Internet. You have access to it everywhere. And, and, and even people, you know, that, that should not have access to it do have access to it. Over there in China, they have to be restrictive about, you know, what access you have and, you know, you know, all their providers and which ones, you know, if you will, censorship of some of those sites. But I'll tell you this, it still gets through. It still gets through. They used to be smuggling pieces of paper. Now it's electronic uh, devices, and it's a lot easier to hide an electronic device. You know how easy it is to hide the Word of God on a SIM card and how easy it is to hide that SIM card? It's a lot easier than hiding a piece of paper. It's a lot easier than hiding a Bible. I mean, it's amazing what, what, what people can do nowadays. And if you will, technology has only furthered the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that, as he says, that the gospel will reach every part of this world. But what we see here is we see that, that, that God has, you know, given us this. How about we just start with being thankful for that? How will we be thankful for the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us? There's some difficult things that are in here. Solomon talks about it. He talks about the Proverbs being dark sayings. Now, not dark as in like we would think of dark humor or something like that. Some people have dark humor where, you know, they, they, they laugh at people's injuries and things of that nature. But I will tell you this, that's not what the Word of God is talking about. It's talking about dark in that you have to search it out. Those proverbs are not just simple common sense. It's not just a book of common sense. As much as we'd like to say there's a lot of common sense in there, and there is. There very much is. But I will tell you this, uh, it goes a lot deeper than just simple common sense, than just simple physical things. There is an immense amount of spiritual application in all of those Proverbs. 
And some of them, you really have to search it out. You have to search it out. And that is the intent of what God has done. And I'll tell you this, it's difficult to do that if you don't have the Holy Spirit talking to you. It's really difficult to do. How about we thankful for that? I mean, there's three things right off the bat. We can be thankful for our families. We can be thankful for the country we're in. We can be thankful for the homes that we have and the shelter and the protection, uh, the provision and all those things that we have that maybe some other people don't have. Thankful for a church that we have that we can attend. Not everybody has that. Not everybody has that. I just saw a statistic the other day. Blows my mind. Uh, since 2020, so that's like less than four years. In 2020, there was approximately in the United States of America about 380,000 churches. Now, I don't know what they classified as a church, but let's just run with that, okay? 380,000. 2024, there's only 240,000. That's a loss of about 36%. That's over a third in four years. What's it going to look like in another four years? Churches closing doors all the time. Are we thankful for what we have? What we begin to realize is that here he says, be thankful in this. That's going to bring peace. The more thankful you are, the more peace is going to be present in your life. We need to understand that concept. So the way that we allow peace to rule is we just start having a thankful heart and a thankful spirit and a thankful attitude. And I'll tell you this, you will start having peace in your life. You'll start having peace in your life. You'll start realizing, not in the way of avoiding conflict, but just saying, you know, there's certain conflicts that just really shouldn't even be fought. And just go, you know what, I'm done. I'm just, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna deal with that. Why would I even deal with that? And just say, I'm thankful for what I have. And somebody else wants to make a conflict out of it, fine, let them make a conflict out of it. You don't have to engage them, by the way. You can choose to just say no. We need to understand that concept. Because again, what we're looking at here is, as he says, to the which also you're called in one body. There should be peace in the body of Christ. There should be peace in the body of Christ. But as we know, and when we read all the way over there in the book of Acts, all the way to, 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 to the book of Jude, and even in the beginning parts of Revelation, there is conflict in the body of Christ. There's conflict in the body of Christ. And then James points out exactly why. But therein is the problem. Therein is the conflict that we have with, if you will, with uh, uh, the this war that exists and as as Paul points out in Romans chapter 7, that, that conflict that exists in our mind, if you will, that battlefield of what is being fought over between the world, between the devil, between ourselves and uh, our, our own flesh, and between what God wants. 
But there is a victory that is won, and there is a victory that we can have. And it's found only through Jesus Christ being the preeminent. If Christ is our first thought, I guarantee you conflict will be less. Conflict will be less. So what do we do? We have some conflicts that begins to come up. Our response should be, okay, I'm going to respond to the way Christ would respond. Now again, somebody jumps on there and says, well, that means I get to call, you know, start calling people vipers and stuff. Oh, hold on a second. Let's not take away from who God is and what he did. He knew exactly what they were and he knew exactly the intents of their heart. We can't read hearts. We can't read minds and we need to stop trying or acting like we do. Now look, there, we can get a general understanding of people through some psychology and through some things like that, you know, getting taught how to read people and so on and so forth. But I will tell you this, uh, we, when it comes to trying to read people, we're like false prophets. We don't get it a hundred percent right. We don't. We'll look at somebody and we'll say, we'll read them that way. And then, you know, guess what? Then they do something that is completely opposite of that. And we go, hmm, would we ever admit to ourselves we were wrong? Oh, of course not. Of course not. We try to justify it in whatever way, shape, or form, and things of that nature. But let's just put it this way. Jesus Christ was the best reader of people. Why? Because he could read the hearts. He could read the intents. We can't. So you know what we have to rely on? Trying the spirits. So what do we do? We start looking at the fruit. We start saying, okay, here's the issue. What do I do? Uh, how do I respond? And so on and so forth. And I guarantee you, we start judging ourselves more. We'll start judging people less. That needs to be the idea. That needs to be the, uh, you know, the conflict resolution. Because again, this is what happens. Look, peace, in order for peace to rule, there has to be submission. You have to submit. Now, a lot of people don't like that word submit. Because submission means subjection. Submission means, uh, uh, and subjection means obedience. And, and, and those are words that people do not like in this day and age. Well, you can't tell me what to do. Who are you? You're not the boss of me and so on and so forth, right? And some people are the boss. I have a boss. I have a boss that doesn't know what I'm doing. My direct report that I'm supposed to report to, he, when he took over for the, the previous, um, attorney that, uh, um, took another job, uh, he, he calls, you know, he calls me up and basically, uh, send, uh, excuse me, sends me an email. Sends me an email saying, hey, look, uh, I, I honestly have no idea what you do on a day-to-day basis. He's like, I, I have no idea even how to manage you. He said, so I'm going to leave it to one of the other attorneys that you have worked with to, to kind of, if you will, be an overseer. I'm like, sounds fine with me. I don't care. You know, just let me do my job and I'll do my job and I'll do it fine. I'll do it under the Lord and then you'll be pleased with it. That's all I need to do. And uh, that's the way it works. But I have a boss. I, I, there's always a boss. Even, even as pastor of the church, I've got a boss. And his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, and again, you know, people talking and say, oh, hey, you know, Ken Stewart's church. No, it's not Ken Stewart's church. It's God's. Right. It's been his for a long time. It will remain his and it will be his 
so as long as I'm pastor here. Because I don't want it to be something of the flesh. I don't want it to be elevation of self. I, I, I don't want it to be something that's, that's all about me. Nor should we make church all about us. You know, I understand we say, well, you know, my church and we have that affiliation, but we, you know, we, we got to be careful with that, that when we start talking about those type of things, that we're clearly identifying that it is God's church and we are a part of it. And we need to allow him to do the work in us in this church. So in order for us to have that peace, we have to allow Christ to be in the position he should be, which is preeminent, which is first, which is overall, then what happens? We have peace. We have peace. Um, let's take a look here in, in uh, back over in Colossians chapter 3. Here's another allowance verse in verse 16. Let, let. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, here, here we find, this, if you will, the ninth part of this principles that he is presenting to us. And this is, again, another allowance. There's a lot of action of putting on and putting off and, and mortifying and so on and so forth that goes on in the previous. Now here we are with another allowance. We allow the, the peace of God to rule and reign in our hearts. And now we're here we are allowing the word of God to dwell in us. To dwell in us. And this is one of the biggest problems with, with, with the, dare I say, struggles with Christians today is that they do not allow the word of God to be the one that is preeminent and dwell in them. It's more about their opinions. It's more about their desires. It's more about their wants and their will (coughs) than it is about what God wants. And the only way we know what God wants and the only way we know what God's will is is to be in the Word of God. And if we are not in the Word of God, we are not going to know. But not only do we need to be in the Word of God, the Word of God needs to be in us. Psalms makes that clear. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You realize that, that God puts so many things in our life to help us with our sin problems? To help us with our sin problems? Could you imagine trying to fix your car when the only thing you have is a quarter-inch crescent wrench and a flat-headed screwdriver? No, what do you need? You need the snap-on tool truck or whatever it's called to roll up and say, hey, uh, you can take whatever you want for free. And you'd be like, ooh, 
Let's go ahead and roll out the, you know, the, the big boys. Let's, let's take that XL size, uh, toolbox and let's get the, you know, all these, uh, uh, ratchets and wrenches and, uh, uh, um, uh, screwdrivers and pliers and whatever else it is that we need. And then we would have tools to do whatever we need to do the job. Well, I'll tell you this, the word of God is greater than any snap on toolbox truck. There are more tools in the Word of God to help you on a day-to-day basis to keep you out of sin than there is self-help books written in the world. Yeah. And by the way, self-help books won't help you. They'll just make you more confused. They'll make you more confused. I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, I happen to have one of those, uh, um, and I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. Is it Dale Carnegie that one that wrote How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies? That the guy? I got an old copy from the 60s, I think it is, 50s or 60s, on my shelf at home. It was given to my uh, grandmother who gave it to my father who uh, said, I got these books, I don't need, you want that? And I said, sure, I'll take it. So I've got one sitting in in, in my my uh, office there. You want to know how often I open that book? <clears throat> It's right there next to the crayon. <laughs> I have turned around backwards with the spine facing. I don't want anybody to know I had that thing in there. <clears throat> you know, I'm always afraid that things just going to spontaneously catch on fire. You ever get superstitious about a book that way? You're just like, eh. you're not even sure you want it in the house. But I have it there for a reason. But uh, but again, you know, that's not going to help me. Because you know what? It's not about winning friends and influencing enemies. You know how, uh, how, you, how you win friends and influence enemies? The Word of God. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, that's how to win enemies <laughs> really quickly. Because what happens? You start talking about the things of God and people just don't even want to talk with you anymore. You choose righteousness and guess what? People don't want to associate with you anymore. People start going, no, 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 no. That's not what I signed up for in this relationship. And interestingly enough, God starts talking about relationships in in verse 18 down through verse 22 here. And he breaks it apart into the main categories of relationships. And we'll deal with that because God wants godly relationships. And the only way you can have godly relationships is if you have God at the forefront. Want a godly marriage? Well, Christ better be the first thing that you address every single morning, even before you address your spouse. Because you're not going to know how to speak to your spouse unless you've already talked with had a little conversation with God. There, those are principles that people are like, "Ah, is that really true? Try it. Try it for a week. See what happens. Before you have any conversations with anybody, before you even check your phone, before you do any of that, just pray. Doesn't have to be a long prayer. Could be a Nehemiah prayer. Could be a Peter prayer. Lord, save me. What have I gotten myself into? I woke up. It's Monday morning. You know, <clears throat> what do I do? What a simple prayer. Waking up. Lord, thank you for giving me another day of life. Lord, thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit to guide and direct me in your word. Lord, may I use that today? to please you and honor you. 
and all my responses and everything that I do. That will change how you look at the day. That will change how you respond during the day. Because I guarantee you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get ready to say something, and the Lord's going to say, Hey, didn't you pray this morning? Um, Yeah, probably shouldn't say that. It will change the way you think. And we as believers need to change the way we think. We need to stop thinking about ourselves and stop thinking about the fleshly lusts. We need to start thinking about what Jesus Christ is doing right now. We know what he's done. We're thankful for what he's done. But what is he doing right now in your life? And look at the tense that God has put right here in this verse, in verse 16. Let the word of God, or let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell as in a present tense right now. Not he has already dwelled and has moved on. If he has moved on, there's a problem, okay? Not he, you know, we're looking for a dwelling later on in life that he will eventually get there. No, it's a present tense as in God's word dwelling in you right now. And it's the word of Christ. It is the word of God. That is something that we need to allow in our life. Look, you can read the Bible as much as you want, but if you don't allow it to have any effect on you, it's going to do you no good. You could sit in a pew of a church all day long and say, I love Jesus, and if you don't let the word of God permeate you and get inside you and affect you and change you and convict you and correct you and bring you to repentance, guess what? It's not going to do you a lot of good. You might as well go watch the Super Bowl. Which, by the way, who really cares? People make a big deal out of that. People are sitting there, you know, right now, they're making a bigger deal about that than they are God. There are churches that talk about, oh yeah, we're, you know, it's, it's Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to have a big thing about Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to have, you know, uh, set up a big screen TV and we're going to watch everything and, you know, we're going to get it all live streamed and so on and so forth and we're going to change our services around the times and stuff like that. No, 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 no. Drove by a church one time and it said, come join us on our, you know, Sunday evening services. We're gonna we're gonna play Star Wars. That was their advertisement. What? How is Christ preeminent? How about the Word of God? How about we let that affect us? That's what should dwell in us. And when we talk about dwell, we're talking about being occupied. Now, go go over to to, to the book of Second uh, Timothy. Second <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Timothy. <clears throat> 
In chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now it's interesting that both of these 316s, Colossians 316, 2 Timothy 316, have to deal with what? The word of God. Which is interesting considering you start taking a look at John 316, which also has to deal with the word of God. There's something about that. Just throwing that out there. It'd be an interesting study for somebody to do. Just start taking a look at 316s in the Bible and start looking at a connection. You'll be like, hmm. It's an interesting thought. But as we look at this here, what do we find? We find again, scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God as profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. And I will tell you this, if you let the word of God dwell in you, and you let it dwell in you richly, this is what happens. What? You get doctrine. You get truth. You cannot escape it. When you start looking at the Word of God and you start having the Word of God dwell in you, you will begin to realize, hey, that's truth. That's truth. Fox News doesn't do that. CNN doesn't do that. None of the news agencies do that. Why? They've got their own agendas. You're like, are you saying the word of God doesn't have an agenda? No, it's got an agenda. What is that? Righteousness. Amen. To change you. Yeah, it wants you to think differently. Fox wants you to think a certain way. CNN wants you to think a certain way. And I'm picking on those because of the big names. Whatever it is. Doesn't matter whether you're talking about the Oregonian, the Colombian, or anything else, the statesman. Doesn't matter. All those, you know, they're journalists, they're reporters, there's news, whatever it is. The whole idea behind it is they want you to think a certain way about a certain subject. Well, God's word wants you to think a certain way about a certain subject, and that is Jesus Christ. And he, he wants you to think about Jesus Christ all the time, and he wants you to put yourself in the position that you need to be, which is subject to him, meaning that he is the preeminent one. But as we see here, this is what happens. You have doctrine, which is that truth that is taught. We have reproof, which means it shows exactly what the the, the cause and what the, the, if you will, the catalyst is. We have correction in our lives that we always need because we need to constantly be corrected. People are sitting there saying, well, I don't always need the correction. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I need to be constantly corrected. You realize that when you get in the car, you're constantly correcting the car? Car, I got it. It's, it's got one of those lane assists. I turned the thing off. Man, alive, there's nothing more irritating than you're just cruising along. You get too close to that line and all of a sudden, you're jerks. You're like, like, stop it. I turn the thing off. It still does it. Still does it. You get too close to that, you know, that, that, that white line over to the one side and it doesn't like it. And I'm trying to get over because I don't want to be that close to a truck or something like that. And it's trying to jerk me back and I'm like, stop it. And you know, I'm fighting the thing. The car's got a mind of its own. But you know what? You're constantly having to correct it. That car relies on, if you will, use your input to steer it, to keep it on course, to keep it on the road, to keep it in the paths, to keep it in a lane. 
so on and so forth. You realize that we need that constant correction in our life to keep us on path, to keep us in the course, to keep us in our lane. We need that. That's what the Word of God does. And it says for instruction for righteousness. We need instruction about what is right and what is wrong. We need instruction about knowing what to do that is right, when to do what is right, and how to do what is right. We need all of that. We got, because we have a short memory span. We don't always remember exactly how to do everything right. That's why frequent, you know, if you will, repeat of the Word of God is important in our life. And why is that? In verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I've talked about this before. When we start talking about thoroughly furnished, we go back over there to where he's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, don't you know? He says, what you know you're not? You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're a temple. He talks about it also in chapter 3. Where he says, we're, we're a building, we're being built, right? We're a temple. That temple needs to be furnished. A temple does no good if there's nothing inside of it. And you go back to the old Jewish temples and tabernacle, and you find things. You find altars. And what does God talk about? We need to have an altar in our hearts. There's some things that we need to burn. There's some things that we need to sacrifice. There's some things that we need to give up. We need a labor. We need to constantly wash. We need to make sure the Word of God does all that in our life. We need an altar of incense with prayer. We need a table of showbread to show what God's provided in our life. We need candlesticks so that we can be a light in this world. We need to have, if you will, that mercy seat that we constantly go to and that we, if you will, go back to it all the time and say, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that I have this relationship with him. All of those pieces need to be thoroughly furnished. And what does the Word of God do? It provides all of them. Just like the Word of God provides armor for you, according to Ephesians chapter 6. This is why we need to let the Word of God dwell in us. But not just dwell in us partially, but dwell in us, as he says back over there, going there, richly in all wisdom. Richly in all wisdom. I tell you, one of the marks of when you take a look at a person in, 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 in their life and you look at their spiritual maturity level, you will find that they are often poor in the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that they haven't read the Word of God. It doesn't mean they haven't studied the Word of God. It just means they don't know how to apply the Word of God. And if they don't know how to apply the Word of God, they're going to be poor. They're going to be poor. You can give a homeless person a million dollars. And if they don't know what to do with it, guess what they're going to do with it? They're going to spend it on something that they don't need. And I'm not saying this is every single homeless person. I'm not trying to lump them all into a category, but I will say this. You give it to the wrong person, you know what's going to happen? They're going to spend it on drugs. They're going to spend it on alcohol. They're going to spend it on the wrong things. 
And you might find that homeless person that you give that million dollars to and they say, I'm going to take this. I'm going to get myself a little house. I'm going to get myself a little car. I'm going to go work hard. I'm going to take that money. I'm going to invest it. I'm going to grow that money. I'm going to do those things. And I tell you that it happens a little later on. You find that individual and what occurs later on in that life, they have got more and more and more than what they had previously. Why? Because they allowed the word of God to dwell in them richly and to, if you will, grow and develop and expand and multiply. That's what needs to happen. So when we start talking about letting the word of God dwell in us richly, that's where we start. We need to allow it because that's what wisdom does. That's what wisdom does. The Bible contains an immense amount of wisdom. James talks about it. We're getting ready to talk about that on Wednesday night. Where, you know, where that wisdom comes from. It comes from God. The other stuff is, is, you know, again, as he says, it's sensual. It's devilish. It, it has to do with the flesh. It has to do with our pride. It has to do with everything else. That's what the wisdom of the world offers. The wisdom of God offers true riches. People today, they'll start talking about, you know, how to get rich and so on and so forth. I mean, right now you've got a bunch of people that are sitting there questioning, why is it that all of our congressmen and all our senators are rich people? Why is it they come into office and they're only making $175,000 a year and you're like, well, that's a lot more than I make. Keep in mind they have to keep two households, okay? Not only do they have to keep a household in where they, the county which they represent or the state which they represent, they also have to have a household over in Washington, D.C. And if you take a look at Washington, D.C. housing prices, you'll think San Francisco is affordable. That's why they're all now asking for a raise. And I'm sitting there thinking, none of you deserve a raise. <laughs> what you figure out how to deal with what you got right now, like the rest of us are trying to figure out how to do. How about we work on that part? Maybe if you got to make your dollar stretch a little bit further and you got to go to the Dollar Tree and pick up something. Yeah. The last time you saw a, do- a senator go to the Dollar Tree and pick up a steak to eat. We, uh, would to God that ever happened. But I'll tell you this, the the wisdom that we see from God, the wisdom that we see from the Word... Is, is, is going to dwell in us richly only if we allow it. Only if we allow it. There has to be an allowance of these things. There has to be an allowance of these things. And, and, and again, it's dwell. It should have a habitation. It should be something that is not just, if you will, transient, that it comes and that it goes. You know, you have guests in your home and they come and they go and then after about, you know, two days you're ready to get rid of them, right? Well, that's what the Bible says, you know, talking about withdrawing your foot from your neighbor's house or brother's house unless you grow weary of thee and so hate thee. Because that's what happens. After a while, we're tired of the house guests. We want them gone. But I will make it very clear here, the Word of God shouldn't be transient. It shouldn't be a house guest. It should be somebody that lives there constantly in your life. Constantly. And you dwell with him. That's the idea and the concept. 
Over there in the book of Revelation, what do you find Jesus Christ doing? Knocking on the door to come in and sup. They eat. To have fellowship. But here we are, saved, born again, children of God. He's in us. We're in him. His Holy Spirit is in us. Praise God. We didn't have to have somebody come lay hands on us to give us the Holy Spirit. And praise God, it's not like the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit's going to leave us. But what do we have? We have that security that's in him. But let's not relegate him to the guest room. Let's not take the word of God and relegate it to the garage or the storage area. No, it needs to be prominently displayed. It needs to be prominently in there. It needs to be, if you will, an interaction that constantly happens. When somebody is dwelling in a house with you, you are constantly engaged in knowing who they are and what they want and what's going on. There's conversations that take place. There is a a constant interaction that takes place. And that's what needs to happen. We need to allow that. Let let, let. And he says here, and, and here's how, how, how we go about doing some of this with the word of God. And we'll get into this in more detail, but he says, teaching and admonishing one another. So here we are again, talking about each other as the body of Christ. What are we supposed to do? When the word of God dwells in us richly, we don't just keep it, we freely distribute it. And the way we distribute it is teaching. Every single Christian should be a teacher. Every single, well, I'm not made to be a teacher. Yes, you are. You can teach. And I don't want to say, well, by being a bad example, because that's not what God intended, okay? He didn't intend you to be a bad example. He intended you to be a good example. He intended you to teach the right things. As he says here, teaching and admonishing one another in his psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. One of the things, the reason why we sing is, is again, not to get ourselves amped up for service, okay? But the reason we sing is, is we're teaching. Look at the words. Hear the words being sung. Let them have an effect in your heart. That's the concept behind it. Because why? We're praising, and as what we were doing, it's unto the Lord. When I sing, I don't sing for your enjoyment. Hey, watch it. <laughs> I don't sing for your, because I guarantee it's not going to be enjoyable. But I will say this, I'm singing unto the Lord. It's not about hearing myself sing. It's not about hearing, uh, you know, having you hear me. It's about what is God hearing. And when I allow God to dwell in me richly and his word to dwell in me richly in all wisdom, and it starts coming out, guess what's going to happen? There is going to be unnatural teaching and admonishing. Now, Lord willing, we'll get into this a little bit more because, again, this is an important subject for us all to understand about what 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 God's expectations of us is when we have the word of God. And all of these things are things of praise to him. The more we praise God, the more we teach. The more we give glory to God, the more we're going to admonish each other to do the right thing. 
We'll explore that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer uh, from our Sunday school. We'll have a small break here, and then we'll go ahead and get back to our 11 o'clock service. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you teach us and instruct us from your word. Pray, Lord, we take these things that we've heard this morning, and, Lord, we would apply them to our lives, that, Lord, there would definitely be an allowance, that we would let your peace rule, and that we'd let your word dwell. And, Lord, that we would do these things in a way that pleases and honors and glorifies you. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to do that as we uh, seek uh, to worship you and praise you in this 11 o'clock hour. And, Lord, I pray you would just continue to be with us, meet with us, teach us, correct us, instruct us, and convict us, Lord, in your ways and in your word. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.